this, this morning I want to speak uh, to you uh, from the subject, Your Heavenly Father's Voice. It's a very um, well-known passage. I've actually preached from it before in this congregation, but it seemed appropriate for today, uh, given the sacrament and well, as well as given the, um, the context that we're in. So I would uh, like to direct your attention to Matthew chapter 3, Matthew chapter 3, uh, beginning at verse 13, and I'll read the passage, then have a word of prayer, and hopefully something substance to say. Uh, please turn with me to Matthew 3, I'll begin reading at verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Let us, let us pray. Uh, our Father, in Christ's name, we thank you for uh, the Scripture. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. And uh, we thank you for this time. And Father, I pray that you would be pleased to graciously make your appeal through me to the hearts and minds of your people. Uh, please give me the uh, sensitivity and the humility uh, to be submissive to the leading of your Spirit and to be chained to what you have said and not to go beyond uh, what is written. Father, uh, fill us all with your spirit and your power. Enable us to see Jesus and his love. And we pray that you would teach, rebuke, correct, and train us in righteousness and that we would leave this building more like Jesus than we were when we came here this morning. Your word is able, you are able to bring this about, and we look to you to do what only you can do. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, this um, is a very familiar passage, as you know, and uh, given the particular context of John the Baptizer's uh, ministry of calling people uh, to repent of their sins and to confess their sins, um, it seems most out of place uh, for Jesus to be coming uh, to John uh, to be baptized by him. And uh, it's interesting how it notes that Jesus came from Galilee because uh, this uh, book, as you know, was written primarily to a Jewish audience. And, and given the Jewish audience, uh, you don't make the Messiah come from Galilee of all places, Galilee of the Gentiles. It's kind of the ghetto of Palestine. It's the place that the Messiah wouldn't come from. You wouldn't expect that. 
even in chapter 21, when Jesus has a triumphal uh, entry into Jerusalem, uh, they say this is Jesus of of Nazareth, of all places. Uh, You don't make the Messiah come from Nazareth. Nothing good comes from Nazareth. But God is so often uh, characterized by doing things that you and I wouldn't do. And um, Jesus comes from Galilee, which is a bit of a smack in the face for the, the, the everyday Jew. Uh, as it is in chapter 2, you see that the Magi came from the east, and they knew enough to worship Jesus when Herod and Jerusalem didn't know to worship Jesus. And so you see that there's all kinds of, 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 of hints that the author is giving to the context in which Jesus came. That the Jewish people were not uh, positioned to follow God the way they should have. But Jesus comes from Galilee of all places. He comes to the Jordan of all places. He comes to John of all people. And he comes to be baptized of all things. But then when you consider the purpose of Jesus' ministry, it makes complete sense that Jesus is here in the Jordan uh, with these sinners uh, confessing sin and repenting and turning back to God. It makes all the sense in the world that he would be there. This is the place, the only place. There's no better place for Jesus to be when there's a group of people confessing sin and turning back to God. And so uh, it makes complete sense that you would find Jesus in these waters. You may recall in the Old Covenant how when the people came into the promised land, they came through the Jordan River. And Jesus now, as the true Israel, is passing the same river into the promised land. You may recall the story of of Naaman and how he was a leper and and he was asked to dip in the Jordan and and he didn't want to do it because the Jordan was dirty. It wasn't the nicest river to get wet in. And he named other rivers. He said, well, certainly Parpar is a better river. It's far more better water. Why not go there? uh, But he was called to the Jordan. Because often in the Bible, the Jordan calls us to humility. It calls us to look inside of ourselves and see our unworthiness and our neediness. We need help outside of ourselves. You remember how God dried up the Jordan when the priests stepped in it, and it was on dry land that they walked through. And how Jesus is now at this same river, passing over and coming to John, the prophet of the day. And he's coming to be baptized with a sinner's baptism, a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And so in this, we see Jesus is identifying himself with sinful people. He's identifying himself with our sin and our guilt. Perhaps you recall in Luke chapter 12 how how Jesus says at a moment of great angst, I have a baptism to undergo and how I wish it was already completed. So he wasn't talking about this baptism because he already was baptized. He was talking about his death on the cross. And that is what this baptism here represents when Jesus comes to be baptized. He's not only receiving a virtual anointing by the prophet of the day, John, as Samuel anointed David. 
but he is literally receiving a baptism for sinners. He's receiving what sinners receive. And it looks ahead to Calvary, where Jesus is going to receive what sinners receive, where he's going to be judged and condemned, and God's going to pour his wrath out on him, and Jesus is going to become sin so that you who believe in him might become the righteousness of God in him. And Jesus is going to take the punishment that you and I, the transgressors, the rebels, the iniquitous, the the perverts, the ones that we deserve, He's going to be the substitutionary sacrifice for sinners. And so there's no other way to receive Jesus or to receive from Jesus without humbling oneself, coming as a sinner, coming as a rebel, coming as a pervert, coming as an iniquitous person, broken by sin, battered by guilt, destroyed by shame, and saying, here I am, Lord Jesus, I want you in my heart to reign. That's what John the Baptist preached, the kingdom of God, the reign of God was coming in. And so, just like John says, In verse 14, John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. Do you come to me? John in his mind is saying something's wrong with this picture. John knew his sin. And John was a believer. He had the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. But he knew he needed something. He needed the Spirit of the resurrected Christ. He needed the Spirit writing the law of God in his heart. He needed that brand new heart. That's what we need. That's what we all need. And by grace, many of us have that heart. But just like John, you and I should be willing to say on a daily basis that we need the Spirit of God in our heart to rule us and to reign in us. That the substance of the sign of baptism would be a reality in our life that we would live the reality of being united to Jesus Christ, having His power work in us and flow through us. We need the Spirit of God. We need Him more than ever. We need the substance of the Spirit. We need our new hearts to be engaged with the Spirit of God. As the Apostle said in Philippians 2, that God is at work in us creating the desire as well as the power to live a life pleasing to Him. And so we are called to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that that is a reality taking place within our hearts. That God is inside of you, creating a desire for Himself in you. That jealousy that He has for you, creating the power in you to live a life pleasing to Him. You and I need the Spirit of God to remind us of that reality on a daily basis. In John chapter 16, we are told that the Spirit of God comes to glorify Jesus Christ to us. That is how He creates the desire. That is how He creates the power within us to live a life pleasing to God. It's by glorifying afresh Jesus Christ to us by reminding us of the covenant, by reminding us of Calvary, by reminding us of Jesus, by reminding us of the love of God 
demonstrated through Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit. It is that love that moves us and motivates us to love God in return. We love, the Apostle said, because he first loved us. The Apostle also said that it's the love of Christ that compels him to no longer live for himself, but for the one who died and was raised again on his behalf. You and I are unworthy. We're unworthy of Jesus. And yet, as, as John says, I need to be baptized, and do you come to me? But here we see that Jesus comes. He comes to you. He comes to us. He comes for us. Although we're unworthy of His love and His kindness, His grace, His mercy, His sacrifice and sufferings, yet He comes to you because He loves you. He comes to identify with you. He comes to identify and to bear your guilt, to take your shame. This was truly humiliating for Jesus to stand in these waters with sinners. And yet He bears that humiliation because He wants you in heaven with Him. He wants you on earth, on mission with Him. He wants you. He wants you to be reconciled, restored again under His reign, restored into a relationship with His Father. He wants you to know God as your Father the way He knows God as His Father, at least in many ways in like manner. Unlike all of the other worshipers who came to John to truly be baptized uh, with sincerity, something very different happened when Jesus was baptized. As you know, we've read it. When Jesus was baptized, we're told twice in this short passage to behold two things, to behold a wonder from heaven and to behold a word from heaven. The word behold in Scripture means to give your full attention to something to missile lock on something, to fixate on something. Because of Jesus' humility, because He humbled Himself like a child before His Father. Look at this scene. Jesus is God in the flesh. He's God the Son. And He's coming under the ministry of John the Baptizer. Under the ministry of a sinner. Jesus is humbling Himself like a little child identifying himself with sinners and rebels, and then suddenly the heavens are opened up to him. The heavens are wide open to him. And as you who believe in Jesus have come to him, you must know from your Father today that the heavens are wide open to you today. You have total access to God, your Father you have complete access like a little child to come and cry out to a father who loves you and is disposed, disposed towards you. He is positioned with arms wide open. He is positioned with listening ears, waiting for his children to cry out, Abba, Father, to him. You have access today. The passage that was read in Romans chapter 8 today tells us that because of your your being in Christ Jesus, because Christ Jesus' Spirit is in you, the Spirit of God in you moves you to cry, Abba, Father, Papa, Daddy, and to not try to figure everything out on your own, 
not try to size everything up on your own, but to say, I have a Father in heaven who has all of the wisdom there is, who has all of the understanding, who has all of the knowledge, who already knows what to do, who already knows what He's going to do. And I simply need to rest in Him as a little child and trust in His hand and trust in His heart that He knows what He's doing. How many times as a father uh, you lead your children and they're horrified. I can recall taking a walk and there were dogs barking. And they were barking and barking and, and our little Anna was so afraid she didn't want to walk past there. They were behind the gate. And as an adult and as a father I can see that they, there's no way they can get out of the gate. Not only are they behind the gate, there's a chain around their neck and so they're, they're safe. They're just loud. They're just annoying. They're just noisy. And it took some faith on her part to take my hand and say, okay, I'll walk as long as you're with me. And sometimes that's the way it is in our life that we have to walk with our Father and we're scared and we're anxious and we don't know what the end result will be, but our Father knows and we must trust Him because He is our Father and because He loves us so dearly. The heavens are open to you. The heavens were always open to Jesus. He always had access to His Father. But here we see it's highlighted even more when Jesus willingly takes on the humiliating task of numbering Himself with sinners. There is still a need for us, like Jesus, but unlike Jesus because He's the Messiah and we are not, but like Jesus, to number ourselves with sinners. Meaning, there's a need for those who know Jesus to go to those who don't know Jesus and share Jesus with them. There's a need for the mission. There's a need for the Great Commission. There's a need for that in your daily life. Wherever you set your foot, God told Joshua, I have given you that land. And the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. When Jesus says, go, make disciples of all nations, He actually says, as you go, meaning wherever you go, whoever you meet, make disciples of all of the nations of the world. And I am with you. Again, He says, behold, give your attention to this reality. I am with you, even to the end of the age. With all of His authority and all of His power, He is with you as you make disciples of all nations. The heavens were open to Jesus Christ and He had access to the one being. You have access to the one being to be effective in this mission. You have access to the Father. And you can depend on Him like a little child, as we have said. And you can depend on Him also to empower you to do the tasks He calls you to. Which brings us to the second thing that we're told to behold. We are specifically told to behold a dove signifying the Holy Spirit coming out of heaven to rest on Jesus. Jesus always had the Holy Spirit. He had the fullness of the Spirit. He had the Spirit without measure. But here we see Jesus identified as the Holy Spirit baptizer. You may recall in John's account of the Gospel it says that he on whom you see the Spirit descend is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is being publicly recognized as the anointed prophet, priest, and king. 
the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is being empowered for His mission that the Father has given Him to bring salvation to the nations. You also have received this Spirit, not in the same measure as Christ, but the same Spirit for sure. And the same Spirit comes with the same purpose, to glorify Jesus Christ. If you have the Spirit of God today, the Spirit of God is within you for the express purpose that you might be a place where Jesus is glorified. That wherever you go and whoever you might be with, you might be someone through whom Christ is glorified. This is why Paul said, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, it means fruitful labor for me. And the whole express purpose for Paul being with people was so that he might leave people glorying in Jesus Christ. May our lives as believers in Jesus leave people glorying in Jesus Christ, giving people a reason to recognize the beauty, the bounty, the blessing of Christ, and to leave them glorifying Him. Paul said, far be it from me to boast in anything and anyone except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Perhaps you, like I, have been guilty of boasting in certain things. And perhaps you have met people who boast in certain things about themselves or their education or job or whatever the case may be. And you are there in that conversation. You are there in their midst to gently, lovingly, humbly steer them away from boasting in themselves and to recognize that every good thing and every good gift is really a product of God's good heart, not their good works. And to remind them that the only real thing worthy of boasting about is Jesus, God's love through Jesus given so freely and graciously to them. And it takes real character, it takes real wisdom beyond ourselves to be able to steer a conversation in that direction. But may God give us that type of wisdom and that type of knowledge and understanding to be able to do that. This dove empowered Jesus Christ. In Christ you have received the Holy Spirit. He lives and empowers you to serve the Lord as He has gifted you. Jesus' baptism, uh, the chapter breaks in your Bible don't tell you this. But in the original Greek and in the original Hebrew, there were no chapter breaks. There were no verses um, anyone can see. For example, in Genesis 1, that it is meant to continue into the first three verses at least of Genesis 2. That's all one section. And it's the same thing here in chapter 4. You have then... Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And each of the Synoptic Gospels take the baptism of Jesus and the temptation of Jesus and tie them together. And they're meant to be tied together. Jesus is... Um, Christ received the Spirit of God who lived and empowered Him and... Uh, in the immediate context, Jesus' baptism leads right into the temptation. God's Spirit, in the immediate context, is seen uh, to be given to Christ 
in order that he might overcome the devil in the wilderness. Just as baptism is a picture of Jesus' death on the cross, uh, the temptation is a picture of Jesus overcoming uh, the devil, which is also what Calvary does. Through Calvary and the resurrection, Jesus overcame the devil and the devil's strategies, the trials that were brought to him. Uh, God's Spirit uh, literally throws, that's the word, ekbalo, he throws Jesus out into the wilderness to be tested by God, to be tempted by the devil. And Jesus' endurance of these temptations equips him to sympathize with every one of you, with every, with every one of, of, of you in your weakness, in your brokenness. Jesus is able to sympathize. He is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He provides you in Himself with a Savior no matter what you might experience, no matter what trial, what temptation you might experience. He has grace and mercy to help you. As, as the writer of Hebrews said, seeing then that we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of the living God. We do not have a high priest who is unable to be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. But he's able to sympathize with our weaknesses because he was tempted in every way just as we have been yet without sin. Therefore, we can boldly come to the throne of grace and receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Because Jesus overcame every strategy of Satan, his temptations, experiences uh, that he went through, he provides you not only help when you're tempted, but also an advocate is what he is when we do fail to be faithful in trials and temptations. Jesus was attempted to avoid the cross. That's primarily what's going on in the temptation narrative. To take a shortcut to glory. But there is no shortcut to glory. It's a lie. The only way to glory is through the cross. The only way to glory for us is through suffering. It says that in the passage that was read earlier in Romans chapter 7, that we will be glorified provided that we suffer with Him. We identify with His sufferings on a daily basis. Jesus said, if any man would come after me, he must deny himself and every day take up his cross and follow me. Jesus was tempted to doubt God's purpose, which is something that you might be tempted about right now to doubt God's purpose. Jesus was also tempted to doubt God's presence, which is also something that you might be tempted with right now. Jesus was also tempted to doubt God's preeminence, that God alone is worthy of glory and praise and worship and service. Sometimes you and I are tempted to think there's something else worthy of our service and worthy of our our praise, but Jesus in each of these temptations was victorious by sticking to the Word of God, by trusting in His Father's heart, by trusting in His Father's hand to provide for Him, by trusting in His Father's presence with Him, and by trusting in His Father's preeminence. You are tempted in similar ways. Have you not ever been tempted to give into your appetite and to your wants? 
above doing what God says in His Word? Certainly you have been tempted to doubt God's presence when He's already proven Himself, but something happens, some trial comes, some temptation comes, some difficulty, some challenge, and you wonder, where is God in all of it? Well, He's right here. He's never left. He never leaves. He never forsakes you. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He never leaves or forsakes His people. He's with us always, even to the end of the age. And certainly you and I have been tempted to doubt God's preeminence to pursue, whether it's wealth or material possession, popularity, to pursue some kind of self-worship or service to something else beyond God, besides God, next to God. But we must humbly remind ourselves as Jesus teaches us in the temptation narrative that there is only one who's worthy of worship and service 24-7, eight days a week like the Beatles said. And that's Jesus. It's God, the triune God. They said something right, right? God tests us and allows Satan to tempt us in order to strengthen us and equip us to serve others in need. I was so blessed last week by the uh, illustration that, that Elder Waba, Ronnie Waba, gave about the karate kid, and I won't give it again because I couldn't give it as well as he did, but just the fact that sometimes God is doing things differently than the way we look at the terrain that we're going through. We're going through so much difficulty, and God, in the midst of all of that, is training us and teaching us for something. He's equipping us for something that we have no idea, but... It's something for His purposes and His will. And God is also testing in our temptations our allegiances. Where do our allegiances lie? Where do your allegiances lie? God is showing us what's really going on in our hearts. Have you ever experienced that? Certainly you have, that when temptation or trial comes, something comes out of you that you didn't know was there whether it comes out of your mouth, some words come out of your mouth, or some action out of your life, you didn't know that that was actually in you until you got pressed in the trial. Well, when Jesus was put to the test, when He was put to the press in Gethsemane, what came out of Him was prayer. What came out of Him was worship. What came out of Him was submission to the will of the Father. And we should be so thankful that that is what came out of Him because He took all of that righteousness to the cross and He bore our sin and gave us the gift of righteousness bestowed, imputed to us, the righteousness of God. And so in Christ Jesus, you are just as righteous and just as sinless as Jesus Christ is. And it's a wonderful thing that we have a Savior that when we fail, when we fall down in the midst of temptation, we don't lean on the Spirit the way we ought to lean on the Spirit, that we have a strong Redeemer who did it all the way to Calvary. He was obedient even to the point of dying on a cross so that all who look in faith to Him and turn from sin are redeemed by Him. And we should be thankful. Because the next thing that happens in Jesus' baptism are the very words that He needed to hear in this particular moment in His humanity. These are the words he needed to hear to persevere through the wilderness. And these are the words that you need to hear as well to persevere through any wilderness that comes your way. That in Jesus Christ, 
You have the Spirit of God. In Jesus Christ, the heavens are wide open to you as well. And in Jesus Christ, we are told to behold a voice, to give our attention to what God the Father said to God the Son. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus was well pleasing to God because Jesus was perfectly righteous before God. But how many times as a father has your child given you a painting or a picture that's not particularly symmetrical the way it ought to be? The head is too small or too big and the body is not the way it ought to be. It's not even attached to the head. And, but yet you as a father say, this is beautiful, this is wonderful. I'm going to hang this on the refrigerator. I'm going to hang it in my office because this is the workmanship of my child. And because this is my child, it is beautiful no matter what it is because it's offered up to the Father. Well, in the case of Jesus, it wasn't asymmetrical. It was perfect in every single way. It was worthy of every single praise. It was perfectly righteous. His life was perfectly righteous, perfectly worthy, wonderful in every way. God could say, this is well-pleasing. You are well-pleasing in my sight. You are loved by me. And it was because, not only it was because he was his father, but because Jesus was the absolute perfect son. And you, believers in Jesus Christ, because you believe in Christ and are found in him, his righteousness covers you, his blood has cleansed you, so whatever you do in his name is pleasing to the Father. And you are well-pleasing to your Father because of Jesus. You are loved by the Father. And that love has been demonstrated in Jesus Christ the Son. And so I would desire by the Spirit of God that you would hear every day ringing in your ears your Father saying to you, you are my beloved son, my beloved daughter. In you I am well pleased because you are in Christ Jesus my Son. You are united to Him. You are found in Him. You are placed in Him. You are blessed in Him with every single spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. And because of that, you are well-pleasing. Because of that, you are loved eternally with an everlasting love, an unfailing love that simply will not ever let you go. Your Father is yours forever. And may you hear His voice today saying how much He loves you how much you are His child adopted by His grace, and how well-pleasing He is, how well-pleasing you are in His sight. Let Let us turn our hearts to God in prayer, asking Him to bless these truths to our heart always. Our Father, in Christ's name, we come and give thanks to You for Your goodness and grace. We thank You that in Christ Jesus, We have a perfect Redeemer, righteous in every way. And He's not only righteous in Himself, but He gives that righteousness to us as a gift. Father, thank You so much that in Christ Jesus, we are righteous. Sometimes we joke and say, I'm no saint, but Lord, in Christ Jesus, we are saints. We are holy ones not because of ourselves, but because of our Savior. We are righteous ones, not because of ourselves, but because of our Savior. We are loved by You, our Father, graciously, mercifully, and we thank You. Father, help us 
to be filled with your Spirit, glorifying Christ Jesus to us, reminding us on a daily basis of how your voice speaks words of strong affirmation over our souls. We bless you and give you our thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.